Welcome to Streaming Thoughts, where we stream our thoughts on movies, TV, and all things nerdy. I am Daniel. And I am Nathan. And welcome to our podcast. So, Nathan, what is on the docket today? Oh, wow. There is so much going on right now. This has been a busy time since our last recording. Uh, let's start. Did you hear there was going to be a new Spider-Man featuring Miles Morales? I heard rumors about that, but that was a long time ago. For PlayStation 5. Watch title. Release. Well, <laughs> <laughs> if you're talking about the video game, then yes, I was keenly aware that there was going to be a video game about Miles Morales. When I first saw the announcement, it was posted up like movie teaser poster. And I'm like, seriously? And then all of a sudden, like, PlayStation 5 launched out. I'm like, oh, man. But you know what, though? I will say, brief thing about that game, the Spider-Man game for the PlayStation. Yeah. If there's ever a video game that has made me feel like I was Spider-Man was definitely that game. Immediately, the game started, and then I was swinging building to building, and I had the biggest grin in my face, and then my wife was like, you look real happy about that, aren't you? And I'm like, I'm having the best time. Is it like uh, previous versions of Spider-Man, where if you swing over Central Park, you can still keep swinging, even though there's no buildings? Like, there's just helicopters above you can attach to to swing from? I know, right? No, it's actually, you can't swing as fast or, or as high in Central Park, because you are essentially sticking to trees the physics are way more realistic which is why again it just feels like you are a spider-man if you get a patch where there's nothing to attach to you're just gonna land on the ground and you're gonna have to run to the next thing <laughs> the next thing you can attach yourself to all right so i'm gonna actually check this game out uh otherwise amc is saying that they will be reopening most if not all of their theaters across the country by mid-july individual states might open at a slightly staggered or different rate but they're saying across the country they're thinking mid-july is going to be the reopening of their theaters okay for most people they should be able to see amc theater near them open by mid-july that is fantastic news but there's a downside to it which is because of the losses that they are reporting in the first quarter for being shut down for so long plus the fact that everyone has pushed any new releases back for months and so there's like no new releases for the summer of 2020 right they do not think that they can actually recover from the pandemic they're thinking this is a path to bankruptcy possibly liquidation selling off their theaters to other franchises other groups or even just shutting down theaters entirely if they do not do well during this period of time of reopening but having no new releases to draw people in that is a giant bummer if that happens i will say that i think a lot of what will make people go back to theaters is going to be two things one idea amc if you're listening there's a lot of 25th 30 year anniversary films that are happening this year that would be a perfect time for those movies to be put back in theaters for example idea number one number two i think what will inform and help people fill those seats in the theaters is obviously the conversation about safety right minimizing risk of infection and what measures amc theaters is going to take to make sure that people feel safe and 
if people feel comfortable and safe, then more people are going to go. I want to see what they have to say about how to keep people safe during this pandemic. I think they have the right to be worried because even though theaters are starting to reopen, even Wonder Woman pushed back their theatrical release to October 2nd just because they want to make sure they have a strong opening theatrical release. Right. I understand that there's a need for people to go and see new new movies and new releases, and I know there's not much happening now, but again, you know, we have a few that are coming out. I mean, Bill and Ted face the music. Well, that teaser was just dropped, yeah. I think it's coming out in August. So I wouldn't doubt that this movie is going to absolutely draw a bunch of people in because number one, there's not a whole lot of other movies that are competing against against it. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bill and Ted Face the Music was a, a more successful hit, financially speaking. Yeah. Which in turn would might help AMC. Hopefully it does. I, I mean, AMC is the largest chain in the country. And not only does that impact the amount of films that are available for people, that also impacts a lot of people's jobs and livelihoods. So Absolutely. So yeah, hopefully not. I mean, for many reasons. Plus, we both love the theater experience and we want to go back to it. I do. So... I really do. So, yeah. My wife was questioning if one of the classic movies that they're showing at the local theater should be one that we should do a podcast on just so that we can get back to the theaters. What movie was that? There's Jurassic Park. Oh, my God. Uh, back to the Future. Oh. And Goonies. Of course. Of course, Goonies. I would not mind doing a Jurassic Park episode. That movie is a milestone in film history. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. For special effects as well. But anyway, we can have a conversation about that. Yeah, we should. Stay Stay tuned. tuned. Subscribe. Subscribe. (laughs) Follow us on Facebook at... Streaming Thoughts Podcast and on Twitter at... Streaming Geek. Gotta get the plugs in. Now that you're getting our plugs in, I do want to reach out to our listeners because about 25% of our listeners are listening on iTunes and it would really help us out with algorithms and podcast recommendations if you drop us a review on itunes about how you think we are doing so far yes please give us your reviews we would really appreciate that and so speaking of movies that have been delayed or otherwise switched from theatrical release to streaming release this weekend that we are recording there's there were a couple this friday artemis fowl was released on disney plus streaming i did not know that another one the king of staten island which features a comedy actor from saturday night live looking like he's doing a rather serious dramatic role that looks rather interesting that also was released as streaming only what platform just in anywhere or is that also Disney Plus? Uh, no, that was a general platform. So I think like, you can probably get, find it on Vudu and sources like that. Okay, got it. And also on Friday, we had the release of The Five Bloods by Spike Lee. Yes. And that is the topic of today's episode, which I am so excited to talk about this movie. I have not, I've not been able to stop thinking about this movie since we saw it on Friday. It has been a tremendous impact for me in my collection of movies or my history of movies that I've seen. Definitely will go down as one of my favorites of all time. This was a remarkable movie. And I would like to say the timing for this movie's release cannot be better. But honestly, 
honestly, if Netflix had pushed up the release of this by like a week or two, I would not have blamed them because it is so impactful for our current environment that we are going through right now. Absolutely. Even if you're not necessarily a Spike Lee fan, I personally think this is one of his best works he has done so far. Absolutely. Totally agree. Like you said, the timing could not have been any better and it wasn't planned. I was very curious about that specifically. So I went on to listen and watch interviews with Spike Lee and the cast just to try to see if this whole movie was planned from the very beginning for this uh, specific thing and at least the release date for this specific time. And it was absolutely not planned. So that also gave it that whole, it couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, everything that's happening now around the country, the discussions about race, racial inequality, Black Lives Matter, all of that stuff is it's, it's just right in that sweet spot when this movie was released. It is an absolutely timely movie. Timely movie. And Yes, I would agree also. I mean, this is absolutely one of Spike Lee's best works, or rather, best joints. <laughs> For the record, this is a new release, so if you want to avoid spoilers, this is the point you turn off the podcast. Yes, absolutely. If you don't want to hear spoilers in this film, please, please do yourself a favor and go watch The Five Bloods and then come back to our podcast so where do you want to start with this the first comment we made about this film was with regards i believe to the changing in aspect ratios and film style with the flashbacks yes so this movie did a rather interesting take using real historical footage, real modern day footage of current events that are happening in the country. Uh, even President Trump gets his cameo in this film. When they cut back, when they are showing things in the modern day versus when they're showing things in the historical during the Vietnam War, they changed the use of the films and the quality and the aspect ratios to make the Vietnam War feel like things that were recorded during the Vietnam War using the cameras of the Vietnam War. And when they were showing things of the modern day, it was modern using the cameras of the modern day. Right. Widescreen aspect ratio and all of that stuff. And just, you know, full HD color and everything. And yes, for those flashbacks, it was really cool to see those memories being represented in that way. I thought visually speaking, it served the film so much with differentiating the two, giving those two periods their own tone that stands alone and apart from the other. Like two lives. Now, something else I thought was rather interesting, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. When they were going through the flashbacks, they have these four powerful, really good actors who carry this movie as the lead. Absolutely. And when they're doing a flashback to these four actors in the past, in the Vietnam War, they did not use any makeup or de-aging technology to make them appear younger until the very end when they're showing pictures of them in their service uniforms where they did actually de-age them to make them look younger. So they could do it. They knew how to do it. They were able to do it. Yeah. But they chose not to. That. I thought was such an interesting decision because when I originally read the synopsis and watched a trailer of this film, I was expecting fully for a younger cast 
of actors to portray the roles of Paul David, or excuse me, Melvin, Otis and Eddie. Yep. And all of those would have younger actors that would play them. That would be the next least expensive option. Yep. Then, of course, they could have done digital de-aging, and it would have been a little bit easier considering the film style that they were using, a little bit more grainy, details were a little bit less... Less HD means, you know, less chance of falling into the uncanny valley. Exactly. So you know that that decision to use the same actors was... Purposeful. Yes, there was purpose to that. A bold decision because historically speaking in films, most movies that have done this have always casted a younger actor to portray the younger version of the character. Mm -hmm. That decision to keep the same actors was brilliant. It worked so well in this movie. But I also will say that I don't know if this will work on every movie. I think that this is a very particular and very special case that I think it worked so well. See, the thing that got me is it really captured this feeling of to these four men, all these flashbacks are always about a triggering memory. Right. And it really captured the feeling. They never left. Absolutely. In their minds, they are still there. Their image of themselves is the same as they are in the modern day because they are still in Vietnam. It was like they were reliving this as if they were there yesterday. Yes. That is such a powerful image to see, and they executed that whole bit to perfection. I had no complaints about that. Which I think that kind of ties into why this film felt like such a real and powerful message about survivor's guilt and PTSD amongst our veterans. Yes. And by the way, real quick, shout out to Dale Roy Lindo, who played Paul. My God, what a performance. You deserve an Oscar for that performance. Oh my God, that was so powerful. What a performance. So incredibly powerful, so incredibly vulnerable and raw and just, ah, I love it. Also, another actor in this, Clark Peters. He played Otis. Yes. And he also played a character in a previous episode we did on John Wick of Harry. Right. And I remember saying... I thought Harry was underutilized in that movie. I wanted to see more of him. I wanted to see him have a bigger role. Watch this film and then go back and think about his role in John Wick. The fact that he was underutilized is just so much more apparent. You know what? After seeing this movie, I'm like, that was a freaking crime. How dare you <laughs> not utilize this character more? <laughs> yes. Oh, you know what? You know what I hope? I hope that the Continental TV series that is coming out for John Wick hires Peter Clark to play Harry and do that character justice. That would be awesome. I would love to see more of that. I mean, all these guys, it's another uh, well-done role I thought was Eddie. Yes. The only one that had, quote, risen above and became successful and wealthy in the eyes of the other three. They saw him as owning all these other car dealerships and having all this fame and everyone knew him. And wealth. Yeah, but then the reveal, this person that has this 
image, this portrayal of being so wealthy and so successful. When he's saying, oh, we should use this gold to making things better for the African community in America. Of course, you would say that you have money. And he's like, no, I don't. It's all a show. Yeah, he was broke. You would think of anyone that was thinking for themselves, despite the fact that this would really help me and maintain my image of being this wealthy, successful person, I still think we should help others. And that was so telling of his character. Absolutely. I mean, he was being completely altruistic in there, despite the fact that he had a chance to recover everything he lost, right? I mean, he still wanted to say, no, these are, these are going to our communities. It's what Storm and Norman would have wanted. Right, exactly. And by the way, also that performance of Chadwick Boseman, we all know that Chadwick Boseman is an amazing, incredibly talented actor. I love him. He's a treasure. But still, what a performance, dude. And I actually do think they used de-aging technology on Chadwick because he looked young in this film. He really did, didn't he? Shout out to the makeup department for this movie because y'all did a great job of making him look younger. Yeah, and that just achieves this feel of what we were talking about earlier where Chadwick Boseman looks like this young kid compared to these older actors and they're all talking about him as he is this idol that was their leader, their confidant, their guide, their sole reason they survived Vietnam. Right, exactly. Now, on that point, is there any scene or image that truly captures how these four men saw Storm and Norman in their minds? I think for me is definitely the conversations that they had after they found the gold. You know, that whole dialogue of all of the African-American men that have given their lives for the country and all that they've ever received, the community in general, has just been a boot in the rear. And the thing he said in that, the first American colonist that died in the Revolutionary War was a black man. Yes. What he said there, that is true. Yes. See, that captured very well as to his motivation of, of understanding who Storm and Norman was. But the thing that captured how these four men looked up to him and viewed him is when they are listening to the Vietnam propaganda trying to turn the GI against their own war effort. Yes. And they're talking about Martin Luther King's uh, assassination. Yeah. He is sitting on this chair that they built by, you know, lashing some sticks together with big ferns behind it. Right. He was sitting on this chair like some African god. Like a king. A king ruling <laughs> over their little tribe of five men. Right. That one image so encapsulates how they look up to him. Yeah. I really capture that so well in that specific image. Absolutely. And to me also, when they found out about the murder of, of Dr. King and how they had this rage and how he was able to tell them, we got to use our rage in a different way. Yeah. And it was so powerful. I mean, like the, the messages in this film were so incredibly powerful and amazing. And again, so well-timed <laughs> for what's happening. And I think that that character, we also saw the image of what they all collectively built of him. Yes. And that's why I mean him up on that throne 
is the image that they all built up of him. Right. But also it was interesting to see that there was no flawed Storm and Norm. He was this perfect soldier that they all had created. Oh, I didn't even think about that at the time. Yeah, every scene, every action he took, it was always flawless. There was that one scene where they were marching through the jungles, through the tall grasses or ferns or whatever it was. He just flawlessly predicted the incoming Viet Cong had them all stop, get low, and successfully convey the orders, get the drop on them, and get them all through that. Right. It was just perfect. It was almost omniscient yeah. understanding of the circumstances. We're seeing these scenes through the memories of these men. So, yeah, it's all about how they view him. Yeah, it really was. For them, he was... The best of everything. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna shock you on this one. Okay. So confession, we watched it Friday when it was first released, and we used our Netflix party. Which, if you want to join us, follow us on Twitter. You'll see the links pop up. You can click on it if you have the Chrome extension, Netflix party installed on your computer. Sign into your own Netflix account, and there's a live chat you can interact with us. And then I watched it again a second time after that. You did. Wow. But between the two times that I watched it, I was editing a previous episode that we had recorded. I was working on a 10-minute section where we are discussing the music in that previous one. Uh Uh-huh. And the second time, I really saw the impact of the music and the score on this film. Shout out to Terrence Blanchard. He is the composer of this film, and he did an incredible job with his soundtrack. I mean, the score itself was top-notch, but the music he picked for this movie, ah, golden. Just everything fits so, so well. Okay, so the first scene I really want to call about the music and the scores is the three landmine-clearing volunteers. They take them hostage, they tie them up, and at night, he unties the girl so that she can go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And again, call back to our previous episode. First time we watched this, if you asked me if there's any music in that scene, I would have said no. Because like, it fits so well for the theme of it that I just went with the motion. But after editing and listening to how you talk about the music in our previous episode, I went back and re-listened to it. And the music in that moment really captures his son David's confliction over keeping these people tied up and treating them the way they are treating them. Look, all I'm going to say is I'm so proud of you for listening to the music and the, and the movies. Like, that makes me so happy. <laughs> it's so great. Confession, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even pay attention in that particular scene. I might need to rewatch this and, and hear that particular scene again. But throughout the film, though, those moments, the job of a composer is to elevate what the director's trying to bring through music. That's what a composer does. And another one where I think they really elevated the scene is when Paul abandons the other four and goes off on his own. If you go back to rewatch this, listen to that score, listen to the music they choose to highlight his emotional and mental state in that moment. Mm-hmm. Because again, it elevates it so well. Yes. That it's just right there. Even before he starts going on his staring into the camera, talking to himself, rants about why he's doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. The music sets you into the mood of where his mind is so well. Yes. It really, really does. It really enhances the scenes and just 
brings everything together so cohesively. By the way, Terrence has worked with Spike over the decades, which obviously explains why the relationship they have with the movies and the music of Spike Lee films is always on point. To prepare myself for this movie, I actually went back to see Inside Man, another Spike Lee joint, just to kind of get into a Spike Lee, you know, vibe for The Five Bloods. And same thing on Inside Man. The score is phenomenal. The intrigue, which is what is trying to capture an Inside Man of what is happening, is absolutely done phenomenally in the score in that movie. So to see that in this film is also really good. And by the way, Black Klansman is another movie of both Spike Lee and Terrence Blanchard that work together in this. I want to see that next. Yeah. On that, I don't know if you saw this. You know how Netflix has the different categories of movies? Netflix did actually just put up a category literally called just simply Black Lives Matter. Yes, a collection. Pretty sure Black Klansman is in that one. I think that's one of the ones I saw when I was scrolling through what was in oh, it. Oh, fun. If it's on Netflix, we should absolutely do another Netflix party and watch Black Klansman, rather. Fun little trivia on Delroy Lindo. Yeah, go for it. His first role in movies was actually playing an army sergeant in More American Graffiti in 1979. But people didn't really notice his talents as an actor until he was portrayed character in Spike Lee's 1992 movie, Malcolm X. Yes, West Indian Archie, I believe was the character's name for that film. Correct. He has worked on a couple other things. I don't think he's worked with Spike Lee since. I haven't been a major follower of Spike Lee's overall filmography, but I think you might be right just looking at Delroy's acting list. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say I really liked Delroy's character in Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> Look, I have I have kind of a soft spot for that movie. That movie was Fast and the Furious before Fast and the Furious existed. That's why I have a soft spot for it. <laughs> <laughs> he was the detective in that one, right? Yes. He played the detective. Yes. Look, he's such a great actor. I said at the beginning, I'm going to say it again. If I don't see him nominated for an Oscar for this movie, I'm going to be shocked. And I usually don't make Oscar predictions. It's not my thing. Right. But I am throwing my hat in on this one. Right. Absolutely. And look, this has to happen. Seriously. He deserves his Oscar. (laughs) And, you know, it really was an incredible portrayal of the character of Paul, of seeing how PTSD the war, all of the accumulation of experiences that have happened for him as a person and for the African-American community as a whole can really degrade his identity and the core of him as a person, right? You really saw that deterioration of the man. And man, again, I have to say, it wouldn't have been as powerful if it hadn't been Del Royalindo doing the doing that work. And it was so incredibly powerful to see that, right? And and I was thinking it's powerful because it's true and because it's real. I was watching an interview with Spike Lee on this film, and he even said that is in order to really ground the fiction of this movie, you have to have the real as to why he used so much real life footage of the Vietnam War in the flashbacks and the portrayal of what they went through. Yes. Which I will say there were a couple of those images 
that I legit had to turn my eyes away. Some of the footage he found for that is just hard to watch. I, like, I didn't even know that footage existed. I couldn't believe that footage existed. Yes. And once again, it is powerful because it's real. And it's powerful because it happened. And yes, we all needed to see it. And I did see it, albeit for only a couple of seconds because that was real hard to watch. But I still think that it was needed. I mean, he carried the realism throughout the movie. Briefly in the John Wick episode, I talked about knife fighting and what they tell you to expect in knife fighting. Yeah. But the John Wick movie was not a real knife fight. This movie shows you a very real knife fight, what it actually comes down to and how quickly it is over. Right. That realism can be hard for some people to watch. Yeah. And also that's another bit. It is a violent film. There are both within the film itself and also with the archive and the footage of what happened in the Vietnam War. So if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched this movie, something to keep in mind in the early parts of it, there is a historical footage scene where they show somebody getting shot point blank range by a pistol. And that imagery, the way that you see the body, the blood, everything about that person getting shot is the same imagery that they tried to capture for every single other gunshot wound in this movie. Yeah. That is the attention to detail and the realism that they were trying to go for. Yes. They wanted you to feel all of this as a very real conflict. Yes, absolutely. One thing that I will say which is one of the craziest bits of this movie, the most tense I think I've ever been was when David, played by Jonathan Majors, the son of Paul, had his foot on that landmine and they had to get him out of that situation. Oh, God. Every muscle in my body was like super tense through that whole scene. It was just crazy. Well, from the moment that they first brought up the landmines, there was so many times that I kept going, are they going to bring back the landmines? Are they going to hit a landmine? I know, right? There's so many times before that. And then it almost left my mind when they actually hit that first landmine. And that was so difficult to watch. Oh, Oh my God, that was so hard to watch. So hard. Yeah. And it went on for a while too. It wasn't like a quick thing. Ugh. You know what brings me memories back of is listening to some vets that I've listened to in the past recounting stories of their time in World War II or Vietnam. They told those stories that was basically captured in that moment. Yeah. It really is a reminder of that, for sure. And because of that realism, foundation that was put in this film by Spike Lee and the writers, and because of that consistency of realism that we saw, is what made that whole scene with David so much more tense. Yeah. Because if it already happened to one of them, could it happen to another? And then some of us might have been like, no, of course not. But you didn't know that. No one knew that. It, the movie, it made you believe that anything could happen. And ultimately, it did happen to another. Oh, yeah, exactly. And on that point, the volunteers that were clearing the landmines, we've talked about how other things are very timely to the current situation. The landmines that have been left behind by past wars with children wandering 20 feet away from a farm and suddenly finding one that was left decades ago. That is still a very 
real humanitarian issue that is going on that we have left behind. Even today. Yes. Remember that these wars have been done for decades. Almost 60 years for Vietnam. Yeah, it's a real big problem. And even longer for World War II. But in terms of tonality, I did want to bring something up because you did bring up the volunteers that were removing the landmines. One of the things that was really interesting when it was just the four, Paul, Otis, Eddie, and Melvin in Vietnam, the tonality of the film, the images that were being captured and you know what we saw on screen were both of an old Vietnam and a new Vietnam. You kind of got to see the imagery of how they were both in the past and the present at the same time. But when he switched to David and Hetty, the volunteer to remove landmines, that tonality between the two of them switched up to a more modern look, a more modern feel. It was really cool how that switched up. And it was only for that scene, only for that brief moment. But you could really see the imagery in the background of a more modern Vietnam with nothing of the past. Yeah, great job on the directing the cinematography of this. And the set pieces. The set design, just absolutely amazing. Amazing work with this. I want the listeners to know, it's very difficult for us to complain about something about this movie because quite honestly, I couldn't find anything, to be honest, that I would consider to be a, they really messed up on that part or they didn't really do well in this part. You know what? For this movie, let's leave the complaints to CinemaSins, and <laughs> I'm just going to stick with singing its praises, because I thoroughly enjoy this movie through and through. Yes, absolutely. And with that, why don't we switch up to our TLDL? Too long, didn't listen. So this is a section where we give you our closing thoughts on this movie. So Nathan, TLDL on The Five Bloods. Well, rather than talking more about how much I enjoyed the movie, I'm going to talk on the very end of this film when they had the happily ever after, they got the gold back to the United States and they're donating it to all these charitable causes. Black Lives Matter, the removing of the landmines. They were making sure the money got to the people where it could help the most. Yes. That gold is just fictional. Please, please help. If there's a cause that you are passionate about, donate what you can. Yes. $5, $100, it doesn't matter. Everything helps these groups. Absolutely. 100%. There is more than one way to participate. There's more than one way to show up. And donating is absolutely one way. And if not, if you can't donate your money, but if you have time, you can donate your time too. There's a lot of ways to do it, right? And there's not one way to show up and support of any cause that you're passionate about. So always keep that in mind, everybody. Absolutely. My thing is going to be the same thing. I firmly believe that every single human being on this planet should watch this movie because I think it's a milestone in film history. I expect nothing but awards after awards after awards for this film. Honestly, I can't wait to see what Spike Lee does next. And Daniel, I do have a final question for you. Based on the marvelous way he portrayed this movie, if you were to give Spike Lee any comic title, which movie would you give him to direct into the MCU? Oh my God, that is an amazing question, of which I would say, personally, a Miles Morales film would be kind of cool if he directed one. But we would love to hear what you would want Spike Lee to do in the MCU by sending us your thoughts on Facebook at Streaming Thoughts Podcast and on Twitter at Streaming Geek. So with that, everybody, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Follow us, like us, leave us the reviews on iTunes. If you can, please do so. 
This has been Daniel. And this has been Ethan. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.